Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who or what is Mothman? During his or its prominent appearances in the Ohio Valley in the 1960s, why was there an outburst of other paranormal phenomena? Is Mothman still active? Hello and welcome to the 635th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and the mo- those most entomological questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this afternoon we bring you a new guest with a new look at the ultra-weird Mothman phenomenon. As well, as always, we welcome your calls. Uh, the numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. And 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor emails. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. Robin Bellamy is a paranormal investigator and an executive member of, of SICAN. That's the Paranormal Studies and Investigations Canada. Robin teaches a ghost research course for the Toronto District School Board. That's interesting and is published in print, media, and online. She has appeared on Sci-Fi, Investigates, Freak Encounters, all Canadian networks, and countless radio talk shows. She serves as Director of Cryptozoology for SICAN, as well as the Canadian representative to the Centre for Fortean Zoology in the UK. She also speaks regularly at conferences, universities, and local groups, and regularly presents at special events like the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Her upcoming book, Xenoforensics, discusses using forensic methodology and evidence gathering for paranormal research. Her website is, is robinbellamy.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-B-E-L-L-A-M-Y.com. So, Robin Bellamy, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hello. How are you? I am just ducky. How about you? <laughs> I'm having a day. <laughs> now, let me, let me just specify here. Robin, you're a Canadian now, but you're a native of West Virginia. Where in West Virginia? I am. I was actually born in Point Pleasant. Ah, oh, well, there we go. One of Rangers, the in crowd, yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. There wasn't any hospital in my hometown, so Point Pleasant had the closest hospital. Oh, ah. So, Ben, take it away. All right, so let's start off with something basic, or maybe not so basic. So who or what is Mothman? Well, that is a good question. Uh, it depends on who you ask, really. <laughs> right. the, the idea of Mothman has been around forever. Um, even in ancient times, there were hieroglyphs of half-man, half-bird. Um, there are stories of the uh, phoenix and the thunderbird in Native American culture. Mm. Um, in the Orient, there are typically women, but they're flying humans. Uh, in Russia, Portugal, England, even the Hindus have their bird people. Uh, but more specifically, there was a 13-month period in the 60s where hundreds of people in a small town saw this thing. And what it is, is a bird man, for lack of a better description. He has the body of a man, the wings of a bird, the, the wings are extremely large, glowing red eyes. His skin is charcoal gray or darker, and he has no feathers. Um, he has no beak. He's got a regular, well, I'm, I'm not going to say regular face, but <laughs> yes. he doesn't have a bird face. Uh, and yeah, he, he showed up um, in Point Pleasant in 1966 and scared the daylights out of everybody. Now, I remember, Robin, I was 12 or 13 years old, living in Connecticut in 1965 and 66, and my mother would point out articles in the Hartford Current about this giant bird being seen in West Virginia. 
And yeah. I remember a lot of the articles, and, and that's and I was my father was always interested in in what today we would call the paranormal, and uh, I have clear memories of. Uh, at least reading Mothman reports in the newspaper. Uh, one of the questions um, th- that I had had is, uh, um, well, I-, I don't want to get into this too soon because I want to finish the Mothman uh, narrative here, but uh, could there have been more than one creature? And-, and the Mothman name came, as I understand it, from the media. The- the pre- there was a press uh, term applied to this-, this sightings. Is that correct? It is. Originally, they wanted to call him Batman, because the wings were shaped more like a bat. Uh, but the television series had recently come out. Yeah, probably would have been a giant lawsuit. Copyright, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So they had it to Mothman. So tell us about some of the incidents that people experienced in that period in uh, the Ohio Valley. Well, the first incident is not really very much talked about. There were some guys digging a grave just outside of Point Pleasant, and they saw this thing, and they didn't tell anybody because, well, who do you tell, you know? Uh, they were afraid people were going to think they were crazy. Um, and that was shortly, that was very, very early in November of 1966. After that, there were two couples who were sitting and talking. They were married couples, stone cold sober, uh, in, a, in an area that we call TNT. It's an old World War II ammunition plant. And it has served its purpose and it shut down and it's now a wildlife refuge. But some of the old buildings are still there, uh, the bunkers where they stored explosives and stuff. So they're sitting out there, and they're talking, and this bird just shows up with these big, big glowing red eyes. Uh, of course, they were scared to death. So they put the car in gear, and off they went towards the fifth apartment, which is probably at regular speeds about a 10-minute drive into Point Pleasant down a curvy little river road. And this thing stayed above their car for, at 100 miles an hour down this road um, until it got to the Point Pleasant town line. Yeah, I've it been on that road. It never slapped its mm. uh, Now, the, uh, several things stand out to me about this phenomenon. Uh, of course, there's the artwork that accompanies the narratives. How accurate is say the the most common one for, that I've seen at least is is a, uh, a a tall figure with literally kind of no head, the red eyes kind of where the where where the neck would have been, and these huge I suppose moth like or or bat like wings on either side of the head extending down almost the full length of the body is is to the best of your knowledge is that relatively accurate or or was there a different appearance? It's or, actually not like much like that at all. Okay. Um, the the muscular body is much more like a human. Uh, you can distinctly see legs and calf muscles and things like that. Um, the actually the statue in Point Pleasant, if anybody has seen pictures of that, looks a little more realistic, but it's still not exactly because it's kind of got butterfly wings. Um, but by and large, I think the witness that they took the the one that you're describing. I think she may have seen him crouched. Oh, okay. Uh, and if something is crouched in the dark, it's going to look like it has no neck. All right. Um, so that's my theory, anyway. Um, I'm actually, I actually saw this thing when I was about. You did. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> tell us, uh, favor us with the with the uh, heroic tale. Well, I didn't know it was anything weird because when you grow up in West Virginia, there's a whole different idea of what's weird. It's a very Scots-Irish population, 
for hundreds of years and very spiritual and super just scared of everything, really. Yeah, I love West Virginia. Um, so I didn't really think about stuff. I actually thought it was a, a deep-sea diver. Um, now, keep in mind that I was a child, and we were driving south along the river, and there's a railroad track that parallels the road, and this thing was... Yeah, I know, I know that railroad track. Yeah, yeah. You do? Oh, yeah, no, uh, we've been there. Oh. Talk, talk to witnesses and things. It wasn't, I'll, I'll fill you in on that later. <laughs> okay. This is just south of Ravenswood, and there's a, an old and dam there. And he was standing just west of the railroad tracks before you get to the river and just standing there. And I was in a car, and we drove by, and that was the extent of my sighting. But it was in the daytime, so I had a pretty good idea of you know what he looked like. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, the, the height itself is a little overwhelming. But for a child, you know, it, it, he was proportional, so it didn't look that big. I've been told about eight feet by some witnesses. Yes, seven, seven to eight feet. Okay. And I, I, I do believe there are more than one. Um, technically, there should be about 500 to sustain a breeding population. Really? Uh, of course, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that would, that would rely on proof that it was a biological creature that that's a, an open question perhaps right yeah i tend to i tend to lean on it is biological a lot of people believe it's interdimensional yeah um, still others believe it's alien some people believe it's a, a manifestation of some kind of ghostly activity could be so all of the a above. lot of theories yeah ben has another question though which is I always have questions. Yes. So do Very you Socratic on these. There's always another question. <laughs> I try my best. So do you believe Mothman is a precursor of disaster, as some do, kind of like a Thunderbird or something to that effect? I do not. Um, mm-hmm. He has been seen before and after major disasters, but he's also been seen standing in cornfields. Uh, I think that the, the ones where he's associated with disasters get more press. Because um, let's face it, it's not that exciting to talk about seeing something strange in a cornfield. Um, so it's it certainly, you know, when the I-35 bridge fell out west and, and there were reports of Mothman, of course they talked about that. Uh, 9-11, of course they talked about it. Mm. Uh, when they, when the, uh, the Chernobyl meltdown, you know, that was, Mothman must have foretold that because they saw Mothman before that. I don't believe that. I think it just is where the excitement is and... The fact that there is something negative happening is coincidental. That makes sense to to me, anyway. Um, let, let's let's get a little deeper here in, into uh, some of this. Now, when we were we were down there in '03, Ben was not working with me just yet, but he was a, a young lad of. Um, I mean, I was there, were like ten or eleven, right? Yes, and uh, <laughs> we were speaking uh, with Bud Hopkins of all people at the at, and several others at the West Virginia Paranormal Conference in uh, Parkersburg. Ah. All right, and uh, we made it a point to talk with s- several people who were around, who were, of course, as, as with yourself, were children at the time of these incidents, and we got to all kinds of stories of other phenomena taking place around, you know, around the time of the Mothman. Yep. Incidents and uh, as though Mothman itself was the tip of the iceberg, sort of thing. <coughs> Excuse me. And we, um, I was already developing. A, we were already looking at other factors in investigating, say, a quote-unquote haunted house. Because, in our opinion, today we we routinely will look outside of even talk to neighbors if possible. 
uh, put together patterns if we can in uh, other areas around these places. And, and we have found ourselves becoming uh, investigators of not just houses or whatever, people uh, or Bigfoot or whatever, or UFOs, but of flap areas. And yep. I think the mother of all flap areas, at least uh, from the media standpoint, is uh, is Point Pleasant and the Ohio Valley at the time of the Mothman stuff. So Absolutely. people would would report to us uh, hearing footsteps on their roofs. And I'm sure, do you know Susan Shepard? Oh yeah, very well. Oh, yeah, Susan's a good friend of ours too, uh, one of the few mediums I will work with. And Susan reported that as a child in this period, she heard these footsteps on her roofs, red red eyes uh, looking through the window. Other people reported red eyes looking out from under furniture in their homes, poltergeist activity. Other people reported increased uh, psychic abilities, for lack of a better term. Uh, have you run into this, and what do you think it means? Oh, I absolutely have heard the, the reports. And there's something that you need to know beforehand, though, and that is, that area has a fair bit of poltergeist activity and uh, UFOs and all, all kinds of odd things anyway. Sure. It always has. And actually, the first ghost story we have is from the time of Cornstalk. So you know, the Native Americans were reporting Yeah, Chief Cornstalk. Yeah, the, the story of what um, happened there, yeah. Well, this is actually one of his children, but that's a whole different story. Um, so there is there's a basis of paranormal events anyway, and that's, in a, that's an area from roughly Pittsburgh to Louisville along the Ohio River, mm-hmm. uh, and as far west as uh, just past Athens, Ohio. That's a long way, but Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, that, that's, that's a yeah. long way. <laughs> yeah, and, and some, of those, some of the UFO reports um, have a more understandable basis. Chuck Yeager used to do test flights down the river. Really, Chuck Hager so, of uh, <clears throat> the Right Stuff fame, first yeah. man to break the sound barrier in what nineteen fifty exactly. something, yeah. Um, and and as a child, I remember hearing you know, the sonic booms. Me before too. We even knew what they were. We must be about uh, the same vintage. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so I, I think a lot of the UFO reports might have been some of that. Yes. Uh, I also know that Point Pleasant lies in the direct landing path for the airport in Huntington, West Virginia. So sometimes you get the odd airplane that's reported that isn't really a UFO. Sure. However, there are also lots and lots and lots of the big black triangle UFOs mm-hmm. reported. Uh, actually, clear over from there to Dayton in that, that whole uh, latitude. When did that begin, um, Robin? Oh, God. Triangle UFO reports. Uh, probably in the mid-50s. That early, yep. the, the, just for anyone who might not know, the triangle UFO is a sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, apparently a nuts and bolts, a tr- literally triangle-shaped UFO with various lights, things of this mm-hmm. kind uh, that are uh, it has become rather common. Uh, while most nuts and bolts UFO reports, uh, in, in our experience, have declined in favor of l- balls of light and things of this kind, but that's just some background. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Robin. <laughs> that's perfectly okay. Uh, my grandmother lived in Columbus. So we were frequently back and forth around um, the Air Force Base that was the south end of Columbus and, of course, Dayton. Um, in Ohio. Yeah. And, yeah, in Ohio, yeah. Uh, big, big Air Force testing places. Uh, so it, it, it makes perfect sense for them to do test flights in a fairly rural area down the river. I mean, if you have to ditch the plane, there's no place better than the Ohio River. It's shallow enough to recover whatever wreckage you have, and there's very little population. Very true. Uh, so yeah. it, 
you know, it, it, from a military standpoint, it's a great test market. What uh, is and the, I've, I've gone off track. Okay, no, that's all right. Uh, it's all relevant because you know we think it's a flap area and it's everything's connected um, through. Well, something we'll discuss later, maybe. Um, ben, I don't know if you have any uh, particular questions at this point, but uh, one thing you and I have both wondered about is um, the notion of the. the I've, I've always noticed the, the terrible fear people have reported. But then there are other people who do not have a terrible fear. No, that, that's, there have been some people who've had positive. Not very many that, that we've heard about. But there be people on this show. Who uh, had, what, uh, what was his name? Can't remember his name. Um, uh, Kevin. Kevin something. Uh, that's, we, should, we should be prepared if we even bring it up. I'm sorry. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but Robin, have, uh, have you heard uh, th- this particular fellow was a guest on the show, and he said that he had a positive Mothman experience, whereas others would report, you know, being absolutely petrified. Uh, the, the, he, he said that he had an experience. He felt rather peaceful. Uh, his math scores went up in school. He was a kid, too. He became, uh, all of a sudden, had all this artistic talent. And uh, he attributed it to, um, at least partially, to this Mothman experience, whether opening up new paths in his brain or whatever. Uh, it, it seemed to be positive. Have you heard of positive Mothman experiences during this period? I have, especially with the math connection. Really? Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the artistic stuff, but I've certainly heard reports that math scales increase. Um, but there, it also depends on your personality. If you see something that you would be frightened of anyway, of course you're going to have a negative experience. Uh, if you're more open to things, maybe the experience won't be so negative. You, you get that with ghost sightings. People freak out when they've got a ghost in their house, or they're thrilled because it's so exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So I, I, think, I think your basic personality plays into that quite a lot. Okay, excellent. Uh, <clears throat> as far as the... Uh now, John Keel supposedly, and I've never heard him say this, but supposedly he admitted, and John Keel being a New York journalist who covered this uh, phenomena in the mid these phenomena in the mid sixties, uh, said that there were uh, men in men in black occurrences and things of this kind, and reported them in some detail in his book, The Mothman Prophecies, later made into a film that had no no uh, relevance whatever to the book, as far as I could see. But nevertheless, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed the film. A lot of people did, and I think it's great. But uh, maybe, uh, how accurate were some of these reports uh, in the wake of the Mothman phenomena, uh, such as the Men in Black reports, people showing up in Air Force uniforms and black cars and wearing insignia in the wrong parts of the uniform, things of this kind. How accurate is that, in your, according to your research, Robin? Well, let's back up a minute. The, the first person to actually talk about Men in Black was actually um, uh, Barker. Gray Barker, okay. Ray Barker, yes. Pretty well-known writer, controversial one, yeah. Right. He published about it five years before Keel's book came out. Oh, okay. Uh, So there's some discussion about whether or not they're under that name or a fictional thing, because Ray Barker was a piece of work. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But there there were certainly odd people in Point Pleasant. Um, Remember that we were in the middle of, uh, was it Korea or Vietnam? But one of one of the Western wars or Eastern wars, and there were people who had reported that there was a possible terrorist link. Um, the Route 35 was a major thoroughfare that went between D.C. and Chicago, and there was a lot of rioting and things like that mm-hmm. going on in Chicago. Um, so some of these odd people may have been just foreigners. Uh, and certainly there were a lot of government people. 
because the, the Corps of Engineers had to come and clean out the river. Um, investigators from the Transportation Safety Board and all those kind of places were certainly over the area trying to figure out what was wrong. A lot of police. Um, however, that being said, I do believe that there were some unexplainable people-like things milling around because okay. of the behaviors of them. Uh, if you look at look at it from a forensic uh, psychology point of view, like criminal pro- profiling, the behaviors of these people don't fit any of the odd people we know were there. You know, they they would show up in the middle of night at the night at somebody's house, mm-hmm. or they would come in and sit down and say strange things and ask very strange questions. Um, so I think there were a few of true men in black, but I also think that there were a lot of government people who were milling around asking questions as well. Okay. One of the theories that we have when we investigate these flap areas, and there are quite a few, we've been working on one for 10 years now in the middle of Connecticut, uh, we're about to begin one in West, Western Pennsylvania. I don't want to say any more about it at this point. But uh, I, we, we see a number of commonalities that perhaps you've seen as well. You've got the ubiquitous uh, ghost phenomena, UFOs. Um, so there are some Bigfoot sightings, you know, pretty much the whole smorgasbord, along with some things that really have never, that, that I, I don't have any names for. Uh, various life forms that apparently appear, things of this kind. Mm -hmm. And you have the military showing up. And um, our working theory is, from having been involved in the paranormal for so many years and and, and just not believing that the old old 19th century spiritualist explanations hold up, in my opinion, Ben Ben tends to agree, because I I had something of an influence on him growing up. A little bit. 200 lectures (laughs) and things of this kind. Uh, but our theory is that we're dealing perhaps more with the the fringe areas of quantum mechanics, i.e., the multiple worlds interpretation, um, and that there are there are some interpretations of that. We've had some physicists agree with us that you've got all possible possibilities out there in concrete reality and parallel realities, and it's all a rather elegant whole that interacts and blends and exchanges energy and sometimes exchanges inhabitants. Uh, if the laws of physics are compatible enough. So w- with this being said, there seem to be certain areas, in, as, as in these flap areas, where these worlds intersect very readily. Uh, there will be all sorts of things going on. And uh, while a UFO might not, might not seem to be related to a ghost, quote-unquote in a classic sense, they really are, because now we're being approached by UFO experts who say, well, we, we've got the, the abduction case here, but there are all, there's also poltergeist phenomena going on in the house. And the guy's grandfather, who died 20 years ago, was skipping down the hallway every morning and things like this. <laughs> so, uh, so we see a, a rather elegant unity in all this, and hence thinks that that larger uh, approach or broader approach to the investigation is required. But why the military? Our theory is: wouldn't we love to weaponize the paranormal? So Absolutely. we we have to go where the intersects are. And in the case of Connecticut, you go to within 100 miles of New York City. Why, why wouldn't they be out in the Nevada desert when they, they could be? But because they have to go where the intersects are. And there's all kinds of stuff that's come from this. And um, we're, we're, we're kind of going on that kind of theory. So uh, that's a lengthy question. <laughs> but what say you on all that? Are we wrong? Are we right? Or is there another explanation for 
why these things may be occurring simultaneously? What, what's, what, what's cooking in your book? Well, I think there's an adjunct explanation. Okay. I think that people start noticing things more when they've experienced one of those. You know, sure. If you've been, if, if you've witnessed a, what you believe is a UFO, for instance, that profoundly changes you as a person. Uh, I believe it also makes you a little bit more willing to see the other phenomena that occur at the same time. Uh, so it's not that there is an increase of activity, there's just an increase of awareness. Um, and and I, I actually have a theory on why that is. The Point Pleasant area, um, in the Ohio River Valley, is in what's called the Rome Trough, which is a geological anomaly. Uh, well, what is it again, please? The Rome Trough. Rogue Trough, okay. T-R-O-U-G-H. Okay. Um, and, and that's an area of, of geology where normally the closer you get to the center of the Earth, the more intense the, gra- the gravity is. Um, in this case, it's, it's the other way around. Um, the closer you get down into that trough, the lighter the gravity is. Uh, and that's that's all scientific stuff. There are that's interesting, four samples yeah. that have been taken, and, and because that's a very rich coal and oil and gas area, there's been a lot of geological study in that area. Ah, um, that's one thing we, and, I didn't mention was that there 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 seem to be geotechnic factors involved in these right. flap areas, and so that, that ties right. right in with that. Yeah, let well, me ask and, you this. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. In addition to that, there is also because of, because it's a trough because this this anomaly. Radon gases are produced closer to the surface and in much more abundance. So the people who have lived there, especially for generations, have a different chemical reaction. They're used to this radon. Huh. Uh, whereas somebody who moves into the area newly is going to have maybe some health issues or, or psychiatric issues for that matter. Uh, so I, I think that all of that is tied together in these flap areas. I think that there's something either that draws them as theological or something that changes the witnesses. Interesting. Robin, you mentioned uh, seismic factors here, among other things, and I'm thinking, too, that uh, that entire area is relatively active. It is relatively close to the the New Madrid fault Mm -hmm. system. Uh, Do you think that might have some some bearing on some of this anyway? I do, for the same reason. Um, When you have separation of plates, you have escaped gases. And I think that that plays in at some level. I don't pretend to know all about the the chemicals and all of that stuff, but I do think that it has an effect. I'm just not sure what that effect is. Okay, excellent. We have to take our break at this point. We'll come back to this fascinating discussion with Robin Bellamy on the Mothman factors and phenomena. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful but a little bit chilly Blackstone River Valley today. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Don Brunell inviting you to join me for ON Midday, weekdays from noon to 2, right here on ON 1240 Radio. We've got gold cuts, guests, and our daily super quiz. The Midday Show, right here on ON, local radio at its best. Okay, yeah, that is a great show. Don, Don uh, runs a tight ship, and it's, it's fascinating every day here on ON. Anyway, we are back. 
with our guest, Robin Bellamy. And uh, we will mention, however, a number of uh, charities we have adopted, uh, both American and Canadian charities, on the show, which we will talk about during our announcement period later on. But let's get back to our discussion. So, Robin, uh, Ben, did you have uh, any points here to make before we proceed with the... Uh... I'm, I've got something brewing. Okay. I'll get back All to right. you on it. All right. So the, the, the seismic issue, and I should perhaps give a, a little bit of background to that, too, for the listeners who may not know. Uh, the eastern U.S. is uh, uh, not so much Canada because of the Canadian Shield, a huge big bunch of, you know, it's, it's nice and solid. But uh, the eastern part of the U.S. is very seismically active. We don't have enormous quakes such as they do in California. But uh, because of the geology here, uh, the effects are much more widespread than they are in the west. I remember being on the uh, uh, in the newsroom of the Providence Journal when I worked there as an editor uh, some years ago, and there was an earthquake in um, the Laurentian Mountains of Quebec, uh, about six hundred five six hundred miles north of us, and we felt it in the newsroom. And uh, I was I happened to be sitting. Everybody else is running. A, a newsroom is like a, a major newspaper is like a giant unmade bed, and everybody's people <laughs> running around and everything's crazy. But I happened to be sitting down doing some editing at, at, at the computer terminal, such as they were in those days, and everything started to shake. And I, and I yelled to, to the the news editor. I said, "Did we just have an earthquake? What? What are you talking about? You know, you know." And then, of course, uh, ten minutes—not even that. Five minutes later, the Associated Press sends away. We had an earthquake, so there we were. It knocked stuff off our shelves uh, in home in Cumberland, uh, Rhode Island, at the time. So, the effects of uh, the New Madrid fault, which I believe, uh, Robin, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is pretty much centered in Missouri, uh, yeah. would be absolutely devastating if there was a quake such as there was in was it 1832 when there wasn't really much out there. Yep. 1830, and um, it was it would be just hideous to contemplate, given the urban development, things of that kind, in the major cities in that area today. So th- this is the area we're talking about, and of course, West Virginia is well within that. So perhaps, uh, and the seismic uh, factors have been speculated about in a number of phenomena. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, so as far as uh, Mothman uh, subsequent to the collapse of the Silver Bridge in... 1960, December 66, was that when it was? 67. 67, okay. Close. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us about uh, the alleged, and I'm, I don't think it was alleged, people have told me that it happened, uh, ex- sort of explosion of Mothman sightings uh, in, early, in, in uh, early 67, mid-67, sort of leading up to that, uh, the collapse of the bridge, which I guess was a few days before Christmas yeah. in 67? Um in, in the Point Pleasant area, on both sides of the river, there were the reports were just pouring in. Um, they saw those things everywhere. Um, outside of that area, it was relatively quiet for several years afterwards. Uh, but in the Point Pleasant area, there were literally hundreds of people. And we're not talking about teenagers or, or you know your, your local town drunk. We're talking about police officers and lawyers and doctors and you know reputable people who would see this thing and report it to the police. Um, there are police reports. There are somewhere casts of footprints that they found. Um, really? We haven't found the we haven't found the casts yet, but they're referred to in some of the paperwork that the police have. Uh, and all of that stuff can be seen at the Mothman Museum in Point Pleasant. Oh, actually, we did uh, see. Yeah, we were there. Yes, we were. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, we have a picture with Mothman. <laughs> we do. The handwritten police reports are are all there at the museum. So, you know, it, it, it's not something that was taken lightly or laughed off. Sure. Um, and I think that people said 
Mothman went away after the bridge fell. I don't believe that. Mm, I've I heard think that a lot. People were more, I think they were more focused on recovering from the horrendous tragedy and less likely to be looking out their windows for red eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, this, is, this is something that devastated the area. Um, there were 37 people, 47, 47 people. Uh, two of the bodies were never recovered. One of them was an infant. So, you know, we're talking about a horrendous disaster in a small town, and I think they had other things to worry about besides the mob. Sure. Uh, Robin, one of the uh, interesting sidebars to this story was that of uh, Indrid Cold and the uh, UFO landing that accompanied that, uh, as reported by Woody Durenberger. Now, we know... His daughter, I'm sure you do too. She's been on the show several times. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, what is is this? Is there a connection with the Mothman thing, or, or perhaps uh, in in the sense of our flap area connections that, that we that we uh, were talking about? I mean, how do you think? How does that fit into the whole picture, or or does it? I tend to think it is more of a flap thing than it's a Mothman thing. Okay, um, sure. The ended cold stuff was much north of Point Pleasant. It was in the Parkersburg area. That's right. So, a lot of, yeah, and the people in Parkersburg were very adamant to us about that, that they should get some of the credit for this. <laughs> Everything didn't happen in Point Pleasant. Yeah, that's true. Right. And just yeah, as some right. background, or do you want to give us the background of that? Of that well, uh, ended cold I just, wanted, I just want to add one other phenomenon, and that was the Flatwoods Monster. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah We've had uh, Frank Cuscino on the show a number of times. Yeah. yeah. So you know, yeah, go go ahead and fill us in on that. That was several years later, but I mean, I, I, uh, not, I mean earlier, much earlier. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not a UFO person per se, so I'm not entirely sure I get this right. But it's my understanding some kids saw this thing, and with and their mother, yeah, it, yeah, and they there was a dog involved or something, uh, and the dog showed up several miles away. Um, that's where that part of the story in the movie came from. Yeah. That's, now, now that's, that's not near. That, that, that's in, that's more in, in central West Virginia, not just right. not that's in the Ohio exactly Valley, as such. But right. but again, within the same uh, within range of what we've been talking about at that time, oh, and it was certainly. it's less than hundred miles. Yeah, so, so Mothman yeah. just attacked the studio here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, <clears throat> no, but but. The, that was 1952, and uh, it was. Uh, we have separate shows on that, uh, that that are really fascinating. And Frank Vicino, who is uh, another West Virginia native uh, like Robin, oh yeah, he's amazing. A lot of books. Oh, he's he's incredible, and um, we've had some great shows with him. So that's again another uh, another factor. But uh, go ahead about the the two incidents. Um, the the injured cold thing, I think, was brought up only because Keel was known to have had strange phone calls. Uh, and I think those two stories kind of got married. Um, the, the injured cold character doesn't show up in Point Pleasant, isn't involved with the Mothman, has nothing to do with it whatsoever. But because it was it, geographically so close together and, and even in the timeline fairly close together, uh, people just kind of lumped it all together as you know, weird stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that bothers me a little bit because... First of all, it does a disservice to the individual events, but it also puts a focus on everything happening at once, and I think that really they need to be separated before they can be put together. Okay. I think you need to look at the individual events before you can group them as causal all in the same you know, time. 
All right. Well, basically, th- that event, as I understand it, was uh, M- M- Mr. Durenberger was driving a truck along, I guess, what at the time would have been the, a brand-new interstate highway, and there was yep. a, a craft in the road. Nobody else was around. And uh, this fellow got out and said his name was injured cold, and he later found out he was from some uh, – the planet was Lanulose or something. Yeah. And this is very – has the, the very 50s and 60s taste to it. You know, this doesn't mean it didn't happen. I mean, something probably happened. And, and then uh, our, our friend uh, Woody's daughter has said that she – Actually saw him on several occasions. Visited their house with someone else, and we we had incidents like that in, in the uh, in Northern Rhode Island. As a matter of fact, yeah. one of the um, the men who was uh, a dear friend of ours, he's since passed away, but he was a uh, Joe uh, Ferrier, well known locally here. Uh, he had the, the afternoon show on this station for over fifty years. Wow! And uh, we used to love to see him on Mondays. We used to have a Monday slot, and he was actually on our show. And he was a well-known UFO publisher and investigator in the 1960s. And he had, uh, I think, the, one of the first interview with Woody Durenberger was in his magazine, um, which I have a copy of. And uh, that's uh, we're really proud of that. But we miss him a lot. And uh, was he was there were incidents uh, around here, uh, such as the uh, Indrid Cold incident that um, I, I, I can't uh, can't remember the name of the of the figure, but it was a uh, the same kind of feel to it, you know. So uh, that wasn't the only such incident at the time, and uh, w- uh, how legitimate it was. I mean, his daughter insisted that it was, uh, but I don't know. But these are also examples of these things that were happening in this this kind of flap area at the time. Now, well, and there's evidence pro and con. I mean, the, yeah. the, the storyteller has some issues with credibility, but there's also the theory that these things would appear to us in a way that we would understand. Mm-hmm. So the idea that it was very 50th, made perfect sense you know if, if they only have our old radio shows and that's what their research tells us we'll believe that's how they're going to show up that makes sense yeah okay let's uh, get a little farther afield then uh from where we the uh, geographical uh locale we've been discussing uh into uh the sightings of mothman in other areas you mentioned something fascinating uh robin and if this is a biological figure uh, you'd have to have a breeding population of at least 500. But of course, if, if it was uh, inter, well, know, dimensions really aren't the same thing as parallel worlds, but it's the same idea. Uh, if, if you were dealing with an inter-world creature that comes and goes, that might not be the case. So, what about sightings and Mothman experiences in other parts of the world? You mentioned Chernobyl and places of this kind. Uh, what, what can you tell us about those phenomena? Oh, there have been so many. Um... The, the Chernobyl one is right before the meltdown, um, and it was not well published. Publicized. The meltdown of Chernobyl, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the Mothman sighting was not well publicized. Uh, it actually, the story did come out prior to the meltdown. So, in, in just a little local newspaper, somebody reported on, you know, they had seen this thing. Um, so there is a precedent for it being something other than attention seeking. Because uh, often when you get these reports, like uh, the, the 9-11 report is a little bit suspicious because the person who reported that didn't bring it to the public eye until after the disaster. Kind of a Nostradamus uh, kind of arrangement. Right, you know, right. You don't know about it until uh, after it happens. But with the, with the meltdown, you know, one of the little local papers had carried a story, just a little blip about something weird that had been seen. So there seems to be a connection there. 
Um, the I-35 bridge collapsed. Was it Wisconsin? Uh, I believe that was Milwaukee, yeah. Milwaukee, or, or, or was it? I don't want to. I don't. I hate to do this on the air. If I don't know, I'm not, I'd rather not say it. So, somewhere in the Midwest, <laughs> out, out there, yeah, yeah, somewhere um, out there. There was kind of a mixture. People, of course, connected that to the Mothman of the '60s because, first of all, I-35 and Route 35. I mean, that's obvious. You know, um, yeah, and that was only what collapses. two years ago, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure that the Mothman was actually seen, but he was certainly reported. Okay. Um, what, but what we have lots of reports that aren't disaster-related at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have them, you know, sometimes around crop circles, uh, usually two or three weeks before the crop circle, especially here in Ontario. You know, there aren't a lot of people studying Mothman in Ontario, but no. we do get reports from tobacco fields and various and sundry other farm communities, uh, and sometimes there is a, a crop circle after. Uh, and that, I think that's an interesting thing to, to research further. Okay. The... Um one of the the interesting uh, phenomena here uh, that that I should th- that have to do with reports of Mothman is that I don't think the Mothman phenomenon uh, at the t- has been all that well known, uh, d- despite the film. I think the the film with Richard Gere and uh, Laura Linney, which I happen to like very much, I think that was from O two. Uh, it, it came out called The Mothman Prophecies, you know, allegedly based on John Keel's book, uh, <laughs> probably brought more attention. To the phenomenon, okay, but I don't think even even still, I don't think uh, within the paranormal realm, as opposed to your garden variety, you know, your local ghost or, or, or your ubiquitous UFO sighting, I don't think it's all that well known. So for people to report uh, Mothman sightings in, in, in really anywhere uh, other than in areas such as the Ohio Valley where it's well known um, makes me want to give it a little bit more credibility. And I tend to be very yep. skeptical in general. What say you on that? I, I yeah, I, I agree. The the people in in the Mid Ohio Valley know what they're seeing when they see it mm. because they grew up with it. Um, but when you get a report of something strange that's seven feet tall and has big red eyes in somebody's tobacco field, that raises my antenna. You know, I want to I want to go there and, and and talk to the witness because those people tend to not know about Mothman, even if they've seen the movie. Because they're describing something so different than the movie portrays, uh, which is good because the movie was not terribly accurate. Uh, no, it wasn't no. It was a good story, but oh, it was a wonderful movie, yeah. but it had nothing to do with what we had. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, the, the caveat there, Robin, is um, when people report Mothman in these other circumstances, how um, consistent with the West Virginia description are the descriptions? One hundred percent with the red eyes. Really? Okay. Yeah, everybody talks about the big red eyes. Because they're not like reflectors. The eyes generate the light from within. You know, you see these driveway reflectors and your headlights catch them, you know, and you would think that it would be like that, but it's not. The the light comes from within. And across the board, every legitimate or even remotely legitimate report talks about the red eyes. Okay. Uh, to the point where I don't even bother to investigate anything that doesn't have that with it. All right. Um, is it the height is it very similar. Sometimes it will go as short as six and a half feet, but always at least that tall, sometimes up to eight feet. Okay. Um, so there's some consistency there. The big 
discrepancy is the kind of skin it has. Um, some people report a leather look. Some people report a very fine fur. Um, and, and sometimes that's perspective, but maybe there are variations. They have that with Sasquatch. They have blonde Sasquatches. They have white Sasquatches. You know, it's, it's possible, I suppose, that there are genetic changes that make one Mothman hairier than the other. Okay. Uh, who am I to guess on that? <laughs> All right. Well, there is another possibility that has not come up yet, and I'm thinking in terms of Nigel Kerner and his research on, on uh, alien greys, not that there's necessarily a connection with Mothman, but his opinion is that uh, <clears throat> these greys that are seen in all sorts of different circumstances, abductions and all this, are not, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, are, are either entirely mechanical or are biomechanical. And the whole notion of the red eyes... Uh, being having a self-generating luminescence, presumably, would would raise the question: Is it possible that the the Mothman, as reported, is uh, some sort of mechanical or biomechanical creature? I mean, I know that's way out there, but I mean, oh, I don't think it's so far out there. I think it's I think it's possible um, with the with the with the caveat that it would be very advanced because it doesn't make any mechanical sounds. And it doesn't move in any kind of a mechanical manner. You know, we're talking really, really good stuff here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Serious animatronics. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, we, we pretty much know that the aliens are way ahead of us in that regard. So if you believe in the idea of space travel and, you know, all of the other things that go with that, certainly Mothman could be biochemical, no problem, or biomechanical, no problem at all. Well, as Ben always brings up, and sometimes the annoyance of some of our eminent UFO guests, uh, how could the an, an alien uh, species or whatever that made or may not have made something like Mothman uh, have an agenda that we can possibly understand fully from our own ne- negative point of view? In other words, can we uh, determine what the purpose of Mothman would be in that circumstance, or uh, are we correct or incorrect in, in applying human motivations to a non-human species? Well, I think that's a problem with all alien and UFO researchers, that we tend mm. to apply what we are and know as humans to something we know nothing about. Yes. And I think that's a big problem initially. Um, but having said that, I also think that to, to credit ourselves with knowing their agenda is very arrogant. We I have, think so, too, yeah. We have put a flag on the moon. Let's say some race comes by and says, well, this is kind of stupid. Why is there just a flag here and nothing else? So I think it's perspective, and we have to look at ourselves as if we weren't ourselves. Yeah, well, we need to do that in a lot of realms, mm. especially in the U.S. Um, but yeah. I, I think that we need to stop thinking in, in conventional science terms and start being open to possibilities. And I think that we're starting to do that. I think that we're seeing a lot of stuff um, like the Hearns, the collider thing, uh, and the HARP system, and all of those kinds of advances in science research, I think we're starting to think outside that little box. And Subjects so for other shows. Yeah, exactly. Robin, before we burn up this hour, and we're almost, we're almost out of time here, tell us uh, about your, your, your book. Has your book come out yet? Uh, and also your website and where people can find yeah. out more about you. The book has not come out yet. Every time I think I'm done, something else comes up. Uh, Xeno Forensics is kind of a how-to guide of 
using what is criminalistic to investigate the paranormal. I like that. Um, for for instance, if you've got um, objects moving, you need to fingerprint and do all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that you can rule out anything that the skeptic is going to come up with. I'll um, deal. I'll make a deal with you. We'll have you back when that book comes out. Perfect. I'd love to do that. Excellent. Uh, and the, the, the uh, website is a little bit less active. I don't get to it as much as I said, but there are both genealogical and paranormal articles on the website. Okay, excellent. Good. All right. So, Robin, uh, just in our last few minutes here, uh, <clears throat> what is the current state of Mothman research and Mothman sightings here in 2016? Uh, we get them about every four months. Really? Okay. Yeah, all over the world. Um, MothmanLives.com has a, a fairly good uh, repository of, of sightings that people have submitted. Um, but there just aren't enough researchers who take this phenomenon seriously and research it seriously. It makes a great story, and a lot of people tell the story of Mothman. But much like the Jersey Devil, there's not been any in-the-field, boots-on-the-ground toil sample taking place. Uh, and, I, and I think we need a lot more serious research, specifically on the Mothman. Okay. Um, when is the last time that, that you're aware of that Mothman was seen in the original classic Mothman area of the Ohio Valley of the U.S.? Um, probably seven or eight years ago, they had a minor landslide in on the Ohio side of the river, and the local newspaper has a picture of it. And if you look closely in the picture, you can see Mothman. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, well, that's another issue with photography, because we really didn't have time to bring it up, but we still have another few minutes. The whole issue of photography. Um, now, of course, as you know, and, and Ben, perhaps you could explain uh, the phenomenon of, you know, the mind take, or you're a sound expert, but the mind take. I mean, it's things. just, you know, the mind takes something, like maybe a blurry image, and tries to reconstruct it in a way that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So I mean, uh, when there are photographs of, and there are very few that I'm aware of. There's one of of a figure on the bridge, the silver bridge before it collapsed, and I, I I've always questioned the legitimacy of that photograph. I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. Yep. Um, yep. But when there are photographs that may be legit, uh, how do you research these things if they're in newspapers and you don't have the negative or you don't have the original digital file? Uh, I mean, how legitimate are photographs of Bothman? And mostly in those cases, you just have to catalog it and just add it to the collection. Yeah, so we just don't know. You really can't do much else. Okay. All right. Because I'm thinking of a a patch of ice on the sidewalk here in uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island. A woman came running to me one time and said, oh, look at this. And it was just a patch of ice on the sidewalk, but it was around Christmas, Christmas time, and there was a. You, if you looked at it, you could see the fat belly and, and the arm waving and the bag of toys and the hat. It was Santa Claus, right? You know, now had, as I always joke, if it had had it been Jesus, tourism in Woonsocket would have have gone to Pluto yep. way beyond our, our tourism council's uh, dreams. But in any case, I think we have to uh, be very careful with these sorts of things, as with uh, EVPs or electronic voice phenomena. And with that... Yeah, if you have to try hard, hard, you're not getting it. It's true. It's true. Uh, Just in our last minute or so here, have have there been any electronic voice phenomena recorded of allegedly of Mothman's voice or any physical contacts with Mothman? Not to my knowledge on the EVP stuff. Um, Back then, they didn't really do that. Um, but uh, we do hear that it does make a screech, much like a Sasquatch. 
Okay. But how about physical contact? Does anyone report having been touched or touched by Mothman no. or touching? No. no. Okay. No, not to my knowledge. What do you think would happen if they did? Well, I think I'd have to change my pants, frankly. Probably uh, slap them, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, very good. Okay, well, excellent. Robin, terrific uh, conversation. Give us your website one more time, please. Um, the best place to find me is www.trydit.net, T-R-I-E-D-I-T.net, or email me at robin at trydit.net, or find me on Facebook. Excellent, very good. So we'll talk to you when your book comes out. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. Okay, very good. All right. <clears throat> so. so we have many announcements. Starting first, our next public appearance will be at the Connecticut Gathering of the Paranormal in Windsor Locks on Saturday and Sunday, July 23rd and 24th. And we will speak on uh, Saturday and then on Sunday, and we will host a, the weekly edition of this show uh, with a panel of all speakers before a live audience. And this uh, event will benefit the Queen of Hearts Thoroughbred Retirement Farm in Maine. And in the fall, we'll be speaking at MUFON events in uh, Philadelphia at the Exeter UFO Festival in, on September 3rd and 4th, and in Exeter in New Hampshire as well, and at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts in October. Meanwhile, you can find out more about the show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, one of the top websites for visits and use. Also at our site, you'll find over 650 free podcasts, from both shows of uh, ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year four run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And this fall, and a lot of people have been asking about this, and there is some confusion about the title, but this fall or early winter, our publisher tells us, you can start looking for our forthcoming book, originally titled Cosmic Journey. We were talking about that for years. Now, at the request of the publisher, it's been changed to the name of the show, Behind the Paranormal, with our motto, Everything You Know is Wrong. So behind the paranormal, everything you know is wrong. Uh, that'll be coming from Schiffer Publishing. And we'll let you know the release date when we have it. And there will be a release event of some kind. Uh, not sure where. And we'll let you know about that, too. And this will be Ben's uh, debut as an author. All the previous books are just by me. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. It'll be a great time for everybody involved. Everybody buy it. He'll need the money. Yes. Um, you can find my books on Amazon.com, my previous books, uh, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook. But if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you. And uh, you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Uh, also on our, on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USACares.org, uh, CanadianVeteransAdvocacy.org, and Youth Mentoring Connection uh, in Los Angeles, doing great things out there for at-risk youth. And I should say, too, and we've never, I don't, we don't usually mention this, we have uh, T-shirts for sale on our website as well, and they have our one of our show uh, nifty slogans uh, explaining the paranormal is not the problem, it's handling the explanations. So those shirts are available in all kinds of different sizes, and they're also at the BehindTheParanormal.com website. Should we sign those? Sign Can the you shirts? sign a shirt? I mean... Not, not like we're the Boston Celtics here. Right? I guess we could. Depends <clears throat> what color the shirt is. That's a good point. Oh, Yeah. All right. Well, if you try to shine, sign a black shirt with a black sharpie, it's not really going to come I've out seen, too I've well. seen people do it with white sharpies. Well, you could do it with white or silver. Ooh. Okay. Well, all right. Jo- our, our, our eminent producer, Josh Ducharme, Words here. Of we'll go to you down if anybody wants us to shi- sign a shirt. But thank you very much. Okay. So uh, anyway, check out uh, all that stuff, and, and you'll help us keep those podcasts free if you patronize our website that way. Okay. Uh, there are two books of special interest to our local listeners. We, we mention this frequently, The Bell Witch Project uh, from... Uh, 
Timothy Green Beckley's publishing company, Global Communications. It's available on Amazon.com. Uh, has the story of um, <clears throat> that I contributed a few stories of the early New England uh, UFO, uh, well UFO and paranormal phenomena that a lot of people don't know about uh, is in that book, and also the book UFO Repeaters available from the same source, and that's uh, uh, includes a whole chapter on Joe Ferrier, whom we mentioned earlier in the show. So next Sunday, Ben, what do we got? So next Sunday, uh, April 17th, we will welcome the author and alien abduction researcher Kathleen Martin for a look at some striking similarities between aliens and parasites, popularly known as demons. So we'll leave you this afternoon with a thought from American mythologist uh, jo- Joseph Campbell. We must let go of the life we have planned so as to accept the one that is waiting for us. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.